welcome back to part two. Part one was fun, amazing. I actually learned a lot, and a lot of it was just a refresher again to what I forgot. And I think we left off with uh, everybody's favorite subject, taxation. Yes, we did, yeah. <laughs> I think everyone was well, hoping we weren't going we to come back to the taxation. Yeah, let's yeah. talk about no, tax. We, we also had a great time last time as well. We've been telling everybody that was one of the best uh, interviews we, we were ever a part of. So yeah, yeah for sure. We had lots of fun. So we were happy when you guys asked us to come back. This is the podcast of the Germanic American Institute. Welcome. Welcome. We're Germanic-speaking European countries. Germany. Deutschland. Blend with the Midwestern United States. We are here and there, and we invite you to come along on the journey. What are we drinking today? Today we have a Stork Club uh, foolproof rye whiskey. This is from. Um, on the outskirts of Berlin, and it's a really small little distillery there, and they make some really, really, really quality whiskeys. Yeah, this is the Spree, Spreewood Distillers, and some of the best German whiskey. You can, and you know, a lot of Americans think that rye is an American thing, but this German rye will battle against any American rye any day. It's really good. It's really, really good, and Amazing. really like fairly priced as well. Okay, gentlemen, let's let's dive back into uh, that which is uh, for one first and foremost important. Uh, prost. Cheers. 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 Let me try to get you. There, there it is. Here we go. And um, Aaron with the zippy cup uh, recovering from the Oktoberfest weekend. <laughs> okay. We cruised through a million different topics. We ended on taxation. And one of the things that is, I think, really perhaps a misconception or the correct perspective uh, for many Americans is to look at Europe and just almost be shocked by the amount of tax that we are paying, whether it's income tax mm. or sales tax, sales tax being somewhat in the neighborhood of 19%, I think in Germany, 21% in Austria, I believe. And then, of yeah. course, we do have um, income tax that is uh, usually a little bit uh, higher than in the US. And I think the, yes. the concept, the idea for many Americans is that this is unaffordable. I could not stay alive in Germany. So the, my question is twofold. One, is that actually really the case? And two, does that type of taxation even make sense to you guys now that you've had numerous years of experience? And that, that's interesting because Jeff and I both have different perspectives and different experiences with paying the taxes because I work on a 40-hour contract job. Jeff's a freelancer, so he has to deal he has to deal with the finansamt, with the tax office, and I, I don't because it's all taken automatically from my paycheck every mm -hmm. single month, and I really don't. I never think about it because I get my paycheck and I can look sometimes at the stub and see what's going where, but at the end of the day, I personally just don't care. I have I have enough money to live, and then when it comes to like the everyday living life in Berlin, it's not super inexpensive. It's not super expensive. It's actually fairly inexpensive, especially for things like uh groceries you know that's very very cheap here mm -hmm. compared to the states so yeah and then in terms of if it's if it's worth it i like i don't mind paying taxes i like to pay taxes i think it's kind of a like patriotic that i know i am paying money and like if i don't need to go to the hospital hopefully i won't but at least it's going to go to somebody who does need to go to hospital visit and they won't have to pay a lot of money and they'll be okay and you see every day like the infrastructure in, in Germany is fantastic. Uh, it's not perfect, but it's really, really good. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of see, I can see more visually where my tax money is going, where I feel like in the States, you're paying less taxes, but I'm not really seeing that money come back to me personally as a, as a citizen, where here I do. Um, so I really don't mind paying the taxes. And at the end of the day, if I have enough money to live my life and still enjoy it and go on traveling and you know, really have a good life, then how much I pay taxes doesn't really matter to me because I have enough, you know, and I, I also don't want to be a millionaire or anything like that. I just want to, I'm also a teacher too. So like, <laughs> obviously no plan to be a millionaire. Probably won't be a millionaire. That's never my goal in the first place. But um, in terms of, yeah, like I said, there's definitely enough to enjoy my life. So I don't feel like I'm, you know, losing money paying all these taxes mm -hmm. personally. Um, but I think Jeff has a different perspective on it than yeah, I do. Yeah, Jeff, where, where do <laughs> yeah. you sit on yeah. this? I mean, I, I agree with some of what he said, um, because 
our tax, the tax dollars in Germany do go to a lot of, of great services for uh, the, um, the German population in general. I just, I think it's a bit of an overreach because I don't mind taxes, but the, the standard tax rate in Germany is 42%. So you're nearing half of every dollar you work so hard for. And I think that is a, like a bit too much, that it's too much out of your pocket. Like I'd be fine with like 30%, um, but 42%, it's like when you're getting near that half zone, it's um, it's just a lot of money, you know, that that's that's kind of going out the window. And unfortunately for me, as a freelancer, I actually don't, all this money that Alex sees in his tax money don't actually come to me like they do to him, right. um, you know, because as a freelancer, I have private health insurance. So if I go to the hospital, my hospital stay isn't paid for. I have to pay for it myself. And, um, and also I don't get the unemployment systems that Alex does. Um, so, because in order to, to get unemployment in Germany, you have to work a salaried position, I think for at least a year, one year or two years, which I haven't because I'm, I've been a freelancer the entire time. So I, if I lose my job, I can't just right off the bat go claim unemployment. So I'm not seeing that money either. So there's a lot of services in which he's taking advantage of, but I can't take advantage of, uh, unfortunately. So for me, it makes no sense to be paying these, these high taxes because I'm not seeing the benefits that maybe a salaried person is. But luckily um, for a freelance person, our tax rate is a little bit lower. They, they, they lower it because they know uh, in between projects, sometimes you, know, you have a month or so and you're not making income, so they give you a little, that little bit of extra, um, you know, to to keep you going during those dry dry months. Um, mm -hmm. But but I, I do agree, there are great services. Um, the money goes to putting people through university um, and all, children and all that, you know. Parents, but, yeah, but you know, it, it is significantly higher than the U.S. And in the U.S., we have the same fire fire departments, police, parks, highways that the money goes to here. So um, I don't think we have. 25 extra percent of services that you know that this money is going to so that's why i'm not i'm not all for this 42 percent uh, tax yeah. rate well it's not 42 percent for everybody like i don't pay 42 percent i pay around 30 something percent yeah it's, it's a very variable tax rate mm -hmm. but if if you make um i think it's up to 64,000 euro then you have to pay 42 percent yeah and if you pay make above 64,000, it's 45 percent so ooh, it's going up and that's where it kind of gets capped off but anybody making over 60 65,000 dollars is paying nearly half of their income to taxes which is you know they got a lot of money though See, that, i don't mind they have a lot of money like pay some more taxes I, for, yeah, me, you know, for me it makes sense but i, I totally understand but, but sixty thousand dollars six thousand dollars not a millionaire that's somebody just, that's a middle class that's not you know what i mean like True. that's not a and if, yeah it's not a millionaire if it was like maybe five hundred thousand like a million yeah, euro maybe it's, it's more of an average wage that's what i mean so well, um, yeah not in berlin but yeah <laughs> you know if, if anything those who are comfortably sitting in the u.s right now listening to your uh, percentages I think we all have sort of our quarrels and complaints with uh, feeling that it is a little bit of an overreach at times. But I think on the whole, when we compare percentages, we are really lucky over here. However, and I think there is a big caveat, we had, again, obviously the social services structure, such as, and let's just uh, go way far in the future, a couple of decades down the road, uh, this okay, wonderful world called... Uh, retirement, or as we call it, uh, freedom from work, um, <laughs> I think it would probably look a little bit different for the two of you as well. As, as a teacher, your retirement looks fundamentally different than the retirement of a freelancer. How is that going to fall in place? Yeah, the re re retirement is definitely something that I've looked into a, a little bit more recently now that, you know, I'm my, in my 30s, I'm, you know, thinking about adult things. Um, but I, I do have a separate uh, kind of 401k type thing set up with my school. So I'm trying to say for that because I think the problem right now in Germany is the, again, I am no expert. This is what I'm hearing and reading about is that there's decline in birth rate. And there's a lot of older people at the moment. Mm. So by the time that we're at retirement age, which I believe now is 68, 68 for men and 66 for women or 67, which is raised. Um, it got higher recently, like this like, month or two ago. Um, by the time we get there, I don't know if there's going to be enough money to take care of us. So I know the Germany, the German system, it was okay, but I think it's kind of going to collapse a bit depending on what happens or what kind of change they can make to it by the time in, you know, in 30 years when Jeff and I hopefully can uh, enjoy our retirement down in Italy or something. 
sure yeah but again i don't i don't get this uh, pension that you do so true so you'll enjoy it but yeah, I'll enjoy it. Uh, but yeah it, I mean, the, the problem is yeah they're just they're, um germans are just not having uh, enough uh, children that's the yeah yeah the, the, the popular general population uh has been declining uh but i think it maybe just started to balance out a little I, bit I think, this past la- year. I think 2020 or 2019 was the first time where they actually had a bit of growth. I think it's because of the, the Corona babies um, coming in, but yeah. yeah, it could be, could be. Yeah. I'm, I guess I'm part of the problem too. Cause I don't think I really want kids either. So I'm not taking care of myself. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I guess once you run out of TV shows, you're just going to go over and uh, contribute to uh, increasing population again. Um <laughs> <laughs> Try to phrase this in a uh, non-confrontational way. Uh, as, as far as as far as population and uh, population density is concerned in in Germany, I think with the recent developments, uh, particularly looking at uh, Afghanistan, I think this is also where Aaron comes in with uh, substantially greater levels of knowledge than I could ever possess. But uh, with the Afghani population distributing, if you will, uh, to some degree to the U.S., but also to a large degree towards uh, Central Europe, France has just granted citizenship to 12,000 Afghani workers in a variety of um, levels from bus drivers to translators, interpreters, guides, what have you. Uh, mm-hmm. What's the situation like in Germany? Do you know of uh, a greater influx from Afghanistan? Uh, what is the German disposition toward that now, particularly with Merkel also in the process of stepping down? So there is a right-leaning politician, I suppose, uh, that's running pretty hot in the press. Uh, what What is the general mood uh, towards all this right now? I mean, they've been receiving um, they've been receiving refugees recently, but not in huge numbers. I mean. Um, the problem is a few years ago when you, when the Syrian civil war started, Germany took in millions of millions of of refugees. And that became a very hot button issue in Germany for people who thought it happened very fast with no plan, um, on, 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 you know, what to do with these refugees, how to, how to, um, you know, properly take care of them. And and, and that was a time when, when Macbeth party was actually going against her because it was against kind of what the CDU believes in, but Macbeth was kind of, uh wants to be this humanitarian so she took a lot of people in but she got a lot of criticism for it and also a lot of praise for it too um yeah yeah but it it basically since then i i know merkel and the government in general have been much more cautious about taking refugees because they did take a lot of flack um during the uh the, the syrian civil war a few years ago so now I, i've heard stories of of them bringing refugees in but not not a huge a huge wave you know i've, I've heard about hundreds here or there thousands but nothing like it was um, a few years ago so from a distributive perspective uh, considering that refugees have come in and uh there has been the argument that Germany is sort of one of the preferred final destinations for many refugees. The the impact upon the German social system, I suppose, would likely be felt across the board. The question is just to which degree and when does a regular German, so to speak, say, wait a moment, uh, that which I am contribute, contributing to is going to be negatively impacted, no longer readily available for me. Mm. Yeah, I, I'm sure I'm sure that, that could be the truth. And that's kind of, I mean... It's always an impossible situation, isn't it? Um, I, I'm on the perspective that I would love for Germany to take in as many as they can, but at the end of the day, uh, it might not even be viable to do that. If the country can't afford it and then people are coming over and they can't get a job, they have nowhere to live, then, you know, that, that's also really difficult. Um, but that, that's, that's why I don't get paid the big bucks to make those decisions because it's way too, way too difficult. Uh, in a perfect world, I love to take everyone over, give them housing, and have everyone have a job and contribute to society and then everyone can have a better life. But obviously um, the world's not perfect and it probably won't go that way. Let me say- Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I mean, those decisions are definitely above my, my pay grade. Um, but but I, I do know just from talk on the street and from people I talked to at the time, there was um, a bit of resentment um, from, from certain parties just because yeah. when the refugees came in, it didn't did mean that certain services for Germans and for expats um, from other countries that were suddenly uh, limited. I know during that time, um, doing anything with the Ausländerbehörde, the immigration office for a, a normal expat was almost impossible because they were overflooded with cases from, from Afghanistan. And for, I, I, so some, some expats um, didn't like that. I know some Germans didn't like that. Um, and also they, I think they were more, they weren't really against the refugees themselves. It was more the lack of 
planning, you know, yeah. they were kind of brought in and, and it was only after they were here, okay, where do we put them? You know, what, uh, what kind of um, uh, integration and integrative? Yeah, because yeah, in the beginning, it, it, was, it was long periods of, you had these huge groups of people in, in, in Berlin and in Munich, et cetera, who, um, you know, can't speak German um, and couldn't get jobs. And it was very frustrating for them, you know, because now they're here, but they couldn't do anything. They couldn't get jobs. They could, you know, because they don't speak German. So it's like, okay, how do we, how do we integrate them? How do we have, you know, can, can we give them free German courses? Um, but I think a lot of Germans were upset that those kind of thoughts were happening a- after they were brought in, not before. Yeah. But, 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 you know, with, with a civil war, do you, I, don't, I don't know how much time you have to, to put forethought into that, that. that so that's it's, kind of it's, thing. it's difficult. Yeah. And I, I think you made a good point, Jeff. I think it's important to mention, to, to mention that, uh, at least what I've heard as well is a lot of people weren't against having refugees coming over. It was more against the, like you said, the response of the government. I think that, I think that's important to say. Um, it's, it's also important to mention that, to be honest, there were a lot of hate crimes and racist attacks against oh, refugees as well. Yeah. So, so that that element doesn't, you know, there is it still a exists, part of, of course there exists. So. And also gave a, a more reason for this far right party, the RFD to kind of, get more polling and, and kind of have a, a voice for these people who are very xenophobic and you know don't want immigrants coming into the country so that was really unfortunate that was a really bad side effect of people coming over but at least you know they were safe and hopefully, and hopefully the opti in this uh in this uh this voting what's it called election election won't get any any higher than, than they already are and i also want to mention too um when during the 20 it was 2016 i think or 2015 the refugee crisis from syria right Few years ago, uh, I, I for was, some reason I'm blanking right now. I think it was 2015. That, 2015. That's a, yeah. Uh, when, when that was happening, I was reading a lot of news articles from the states talking about how Europe is in shambles and crime is going up and everyone's scared and I, I like and my family's like, how is everything okay in Berlin? And I'm like, everything was okay. Everything was relaxed. Um, you saw more uh, diverse people in the streets, especially because I lived right near a giant. The old, the old abandoned airport in um, in Berlin, uh, Tempelhof, was made into a giant refugee center, and I lived right down the street. And it was everything was exactly the way it normally was, except for it was like maybe a bit more crowded on the sidewalks because more people lived in the area. Um, I just wanted to mention that too because I think it's easy to, if you're not in the country, to to say things are going wild over there because of a few stories that you hear. And of course, things do happen. Uh, with any population of any people, but uh, it was things did not things were not wild in Europe. Yeah, I mean th- th- there were a few um, sexual attacks, unfortunately, yeah. and um, kind of like cultural misunderstandings. You know, you have people coming from the Middle East now; they're in a Western society, and um, you know, um, women are are in, in positions that are not, you know, maybe back home, and 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 things that they're not used to um, that, that caused some friction, but the, 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 the amount of situations was very small. It's just, they kind of, they got very overblown, uh, blown up, making it seem like this is, was the general situation in Germany. Like that Berlin was like a war zone or something like that. And, and it, 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 really, it made me really angry that like, yeah. I'm seeing these articles talking about how things in Europe are in shambles and the world's crumbling over here uh, because, because they were nice enough to take people in who needed somewhere to live. Uh, for their own safety and I just find it I find it a little bit I found it really gross so I just wanted to put that out there for anyone who's listening who has not been to Europe who has not experienced that that it was not uh, a war zone here it is pretty so relaxed. The, yeah. the thing that I pick up on and that has actually been one of the the core ideas that I that I'm following with sort of this thought as well as uh, I guess my my line of questions for you guys is really to discern whether the impact of social media, the distribution of articles, the the headline frenzy stands almost in contrast to your personal experiences because it does sound to me like, yes, you've seen more diversity, but it hasn't necessarily negatively impacted you on a personal level. No, I'm, why, I, I don't, why, why would it impact me on a personal level? Uh, that, yeah, why, why, why would it? <laughs> I mean, because we can't speak for anyone. Me personally, I didn't live next to a refugee center, mm-hmm. um, so I, it, so in in that way, I didn't. I I, I saw um, I saw more Syrian immigrants like around town, 
but it didn't affect me on a day-to-day -day basis mm -hmm. because um, you know it, it wasn't it wasn't directly in my neighborhood, and, um, and it was just people living their lives like like I was. They're walking down the sidewalk just like I am. They're maybe going to work, maybe go to German class, maybe just meandering around just like I'm doing. So, yeah, and I, I it's also not like uh, having people from having cultures from the Middle East is also foreign in Germany or Berlin. Uh, I live in a very large um, Middle Eastern population, Turkish population, so it's it's a very common thing here anyway, so it's not something crazy uh, new to, to the area. It's pretty, it's a pretty common culture to see around um, anyways. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I think it, it mostly affected the far right, who exactly suddenly uh, the the um, the uh, the amount of immigrants in their city was suddenly twice what it was, and they they were upset by this as any racist would be. Yeah, so, exactly. Um, there was less white people, less German, therefore they were pissed off about it. Right, but I would, but the average person, I I didn't see yeah any hate or anything against it. But, you know, uh, but it, it, yeah, it was this kind of small niche niche group that was making all the noise about it. So, so it, I, I saw more things around the streets of people embracing it and trying to help rather than pushing against it. It's just a very, I mean, I think it's the same in the States as well, or honestly anywhere, the small minority is usually the loudest. Yeah, so it, so it does to some degree speak to the impact of media dissemination, social media in particular, yeah. where people just can go Absolutely. almost unchecked, if you will, and have N equals one with their personal narrative. And that, unfortunately, at times catches fire and goes viral and then affects the larger group of people. But it's good to hear that those who are, and I think, Erin, you can probably speak most educatedly, educatedly to that, those who are really in dire need right now from... Uh, being safe from persecution, from having their rights truly stripped away, which is one of the big fears in the yeah. U.S. right now, that my rights are suddenly going to be gone. Whereas mm -hmm. when we look at Afghanistan with the Taliban rolling in, their rights really are gone. Yeah, literally, yeah. Aaron, so what, to, what, what yeah, do you that's think? Why, like, a, a lot of these articles and questions, I just don't, I, I just don't understand. Um, yeah, Germany might be a little bit more, more full. The, 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 the offices might be have a longer wait time. But there are people here who are having some semblance of freedom and being able to actually live their lives not in their home country, and that's hard enough already. They had to leave their home, their homeland, which you know sucks for a lot of people, anyways. So the least we can do is welcome them and try to make people, you know, feel like they're part of a bigger community and can have a decent life while they had to leave their maybe friends and family behind. Let's compare and contrast real quick, uh, just for the sake of, I suppose, uh, visually framing this. Erin, what would this look like right now from your perspective in Afghanistan? Uh, what's, how much do they stand to lose? How does their life change right now? What is being taken away from them, stripped from them? How does the support change? And why does it really make sense for them to say, okay, you know what, Germany is my destination? Yeah, I mean, the Taliban is awful. <laughs> it's pretty much um, as bad as you think. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, people are afraid, particularly women. Um, you know, we had, an, our country had an incredible reach in Afghanistan. We were there for 20 years and uh, so many Afghans worked for the United States. They worked for the Afghan government that we supported. Um, they worked for our contractors, for our military. Uh, so yeah, there are a lot of people whose lives are in danger. And I think, you know, our country in particular has an obligation to, to get them out. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, Germany also, I know, like had flights going um, and they had bases and, you know, I visited some of them uh, in, in northern Afghanistan where the Germans were um, and in NATO headquarters in Kabul. But um, yeah, I don't, it, it's really difficult and I don't want to like digress into Afghanistan too much in particular, because um, then I'll, I'll probably start crying. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think um, one thing that I found really touching, at least in 2015, is the the whole like Willkommenskultur um, of mm -hmm. like the people who were like at the train stations, like with flowers and like yeah. holding signs. Um, and I had some friends who were volunteering and like teaching German classes. I, I was here in Minnesota in 2015, so I was seeing it from afar, but um and like on people's social media and stuff. So I found that was that was really inspiring uh, when Germany did that. Yeah, I thought that was something I, I almost 
forgot it happened, but it, uh, it was on the Austrian-German border in the south in Bavaria. Uh, when, the, when the refugees came by train, there were hundreds of Germans there with signs saying, welcome, you know, welcome home, that sort of a thing. So that there were a lot of Germans who had taken it upon themselves to kind of give that warm feeling because they, they knew these people were terrified and scared and probably feeling like, oh, I, I don't know if these people want us here or not. So that, that even that little act probably helps, at least I hope it did, you know, um, a little bit for people, you know, uh, who are coming to a strange land, not by choice, but just because of circumstance. Yeah, I thought that was pretty, pretty, pretty I thought it was a pretty, it's just, I mean, it's a pretty small act, but I think it can mean a lot, uh, especially if there's, you know, a lot of children, people who are scared. Um, and I think it was really cool of a lot of Germans to do that. And, I, and it kind of goes against kind of the, the German stereotype of who Germans are. Um, yeah, they're being yeah. cold and not warm because that's the opposite. That's a very caring, warm thing to do, right? Yeah. Uh, you mentioned uh, work life, and of course, it is uh, at times challenging to get uh, employment when you don't speak the language. But uh, I got stuck on the idea of work life in Germany, particularly as far as dress code is concerned. And this is where the Austrian in America is perplexed uh, about what people are wearing to work these days. And it seems that athleisure wear, yoga pants, are perfectly acceptable nowadays to roll into the office with, which if we are going to the office, uh, I think whatever happens at home under the table with Zoom, I mean, that's uh, for anyone's imagination. But when <laughs> we go to the office... Right now, so. <laughs> <laughs> but do Germans wear athleisure wear to the office or is this something that's completely unthinkable? Uh, yeah, I think, <clears throat> excuse me, especially in the in the more modern office nowadays, especially with the startup scene here, here at least here in Berlin, um, like in my girlfriend's company, you see everyone's wearing like casual clothes, jeans, t-shirt, going to work. Uh, when I was a teacher in the States, I had to wear, you know, a button down shirt, nice khakis and, uh, you know, nice shoes to teach little kids, which didn't make sense to me because I'm getting dirty all the time anyways. And now like this is why I wear, I wear a t-shirt, I wear jeans, um, I have tattoos, visible tattoos. No one has ever asked me about them. It's not a big deal. I can wear my hair how I want it. Uh, it's pretty, it's pretty, at least here in Berlin, I think in Munich, it's really different. Mm. But here in Berlin, it's a, it's really relaxed, uh, working dress code culture. And you, I, don't, I rarely see people, maybe because I'm not in the area that much, I rarely see people like in suits on public transportation. Yeah, and it's a, the, the, problem, the problem is you're asking people from Berlin and <laughs> a, lot, a lot of these questions have completely different answers for Berlin or the rest of Germany. Like Frankfurt, I'm sure there were a lot of yeah, seats. Yeah, I mean, but Berlin in general, where I've worked, it's kind of what he said, it's ca it's casual, but I, I don't know, kind of more chicy casual. Like, you don't not going to see people in sweatpants or right. things like that. Like, you know, maybe a t-shirt and jeans, but it's going to be a nice pair of black jeans and like, you that know, fit well. Yeah, you know, and kind of a fitted t-shirt, you know, it's not, you're not going to look like, you're not going to have like a, you know, mustard stain on it or whatever um so it's not gonna be so casual but it's gonna be like, is that casual that's just gross <laughs> but, you know what i mean like it's uh, dirty right this is dirty it's like casual right. I, mean, I mean but you know you could go for a, like, a lunchtime voice and maybe you do end up with some scent from your shirt i don't know it, it happens you, know, you don't have a, you don't have a backup t-shirt so uh, <laughs> but yeah in general i would say it's it's casual but you still look put together yeah. you know what i mean you're like you're you know your hair's combed you know you're, you're looking like you look like you're doing business but in a casual way people in berlin are very are very stylish in a in a very undertoned way it's like a cheap way they're yeah. really good at looking like they don't care while making sure their their outfit is really meticulously put together you know it's it's this really weird thing it's like they look relaxed and chill but also that they that fits them way too well for them to be that relaxed you know what i mean right like, yeah, I mean, like, like it yeah. looks very casual like they threw it together but you knew you know they planned yeah the whole thing it's, just, it's like it's like planning to look unplanned right. yeah no that's, that, that's that was my way. impression as well you're flying through uh, charles de gaulle in, in in france in paris uh, then into munich and then driving into austria in the airports particularly in france which they are in, on to overdrive anyway uh, everybody really tailored jeans a nice blazer but very relaxed and then of course the obligatory scarf uh, I felt like the biggest slob crawling yeah. off the aircraft. Um, same, same in Munich, really well put together. The even outside in this in the city, just really well put together. And again, I felt horribly underdressed. So for anyone 
having plans of traveling, um, my suggestion would almost be from, from an American perspective, you're borderline suiting up. Yeah, a little bit. Because sure. when, I, when I moved here, I was still uh, I was still kind of stuck in the 2000s. I had very big baggy pants and like extra large shirts on. Um, so I didn't really fit in when I moved here. But I was wearing the same thing. I was still wearing jeans and t-shirt. I just happened to change my style to something that fit me better. Um, and, I, and I think that's what people, I think in all of Europe, to be honest, and most of Europe, are just really good at finding clothes that fit them. matter if you're big, small, short, or tall. They, everyone looks everyone looks good. It's it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah everyone looks really good. It's, it's nice. It's all about the good cuts and the fitted the fitted shirts and everything. But again, not expensive stuff, not no. Prada and everything. Just you know, um, just you know, your average H and M stuff or maybe the higher end H and M. Because because yeah. too fancy, at least in Berlin. Then you're then you're pretentious. No one likes that. Then you stand out because you're like, yeah, what's this guy doing? If you're walking around like Hugo Boss, you don't. Yeah, like if you're walking around like a Louis Vuitton bag. But at the same like, but this, yeah, but at the same time. Most people drive high-end German vehicles. I've noticed that. Yes. The, the amount of really high-end cars that in the U.S. are yeah. borderline unaffordable was just off the charts. They're everywhere. And I, I don't know if, you know, um, you know they have these, they're just like sleeping in their car because they can't afford a park yeah. anymore. Because you, you'll see a lot of people um, dressed very casual getting into, yeah, brand new BMWs, Mercedes, and I, I don't know what kind of uh, a lease they got on this thing, but man, I don't know. Yeah, the area that I live is not a very, you know, affluent area, but there's just these Mercedes and BMWs and Audis everywhere. And I'm, I'm assuming they're cheaper in Germany than they are in the States, but it's, there's, there's but still a luxury yeah, car. Not that much cheaper. I mean, yeah, it's no. like a few grand, but, you know. And I, I remember when I first moved, it was amazing when I got into a taxi and it was a Mercedes E350. I was like, oh, there's a taxi here. We have four tourists, but this is, this is nice. Right. And if you go down to Munich, the Munich uh, Polizei, the Munich police, of course, you know, they're famous for their patrol cars or BMWs and Mercedes. Um, in, Berl in Berlin, we're a little cheaper, so they're all VWs and Polos. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's like the Munich police have stock BMWs. So, um, but I think it's because, you know, on like the highway and stuff, they have to compete with these high-end, uh, you know, cars in the area, you know, so if you're going to keep up with it, you can't have a... Or just because they're rich and they want to spend yeah. it. Yeah, so they also <laughs> have the budget for it, but, you know. So what about um like going to the grocery store? So like I feel like you know there's like going like out to like do stuff, and then there's like I just need to get like some milk or whatever. Sure. Uh, I feel like in the states we like can go in our pajamas, you know, <laughs> like yeah. uh, and at least when I was in Germany, I felt like sort of out of place if I did that. Wow. Yeah, I, I don't see that as often. Um, I, I, I always put a pair of jeans on when I go to the grocery store. I will, if I'm ever dog sitting, I'll wear sweatpants and walk the dog around the block, right? But I'm going into a building. I don't think I'd be caught dead wearing sweatpants, to be honest. I think people do it though. It's um, done. You know, like for me, the grocery store I go to mainly, it's like 50 meters from my front door. It's, you know, a 20 second walk. So it's almost it's like so to dress up it's so much work just for this really short just hop literally hopping and grabbing the milk and coming back you know in two minutes round trip so like i, I will get dressed but put very little work into it because it's like come on i'm not you know i'm just going around the corner do, do you go in sweatpants because like I'll, no, I'll, put, I'll put the shirt i'm wearing i'll put on a pair of jeans or yeah i've never done the sweatpants but i've done, done like my really shabby sunday t-shirt oh, yeah, and that, you know, yeah of course this old pullover that's does have mustard stains on it and you know like yes yeah. especially <laughs> the grocery store because the grocery store is kind of like the area where you kind of see like the real people living in your district because when you're out at a restaurant, out at a bar, you're kind of seeing people who are traveling there to go to the restaurant, to go to the bar, to walk around the city. You know, the grocery store, those are like the people, that's your neighborhood yeah. who's there. Right. So you do yeah. see people in sweatpants. It's not as often, but it's definitely, uh, you see some interesting things in the grocery stores here. No, I'm, I'm with you on that. For it's sure. it's uh, in the US, I don't mind at all just throwing on some, you know, at least some level of uh, representable sweatpants uh, or shorts mm -hmm. uh, to head on over to the grocery store. In Austria, I would not be caught dead with sweatpants mm. going to the grocery store. It just wouldn't happen. It's just a complete yeah. impossibility. Uh, so from, from work life to, to um, grocery store life to nightlife, what's it like? Oh I mean, it must have been just a phenomenal switch for you guys to recognize that bars are open until 4 a.m. I mean, four is early. Yeah. <laughs> In Berlin, most of the bars you go to, you know, at the opening and closing times, so I'll say opening time, and then it'll literally not have a closing time. It'll just be this blank space because yeah. the bar will stay open as long as it's still making money. So six, seven, eight a.m. And then you've got clubs like 
Watergate, Bergheim, they are open 24 hours a day. So you could, you could, if you were crazy, you could go there Friday night and live, be there till Sunday, uh, Monday morning if you wanted to. And like. people do that, especially at bars like Bergheim or Sisyphus, people go in on a Friday and leave on Sunday. And that's kind of their weekend. Which, that sounds awful, but okay. That is that's crazy. Crazy. A, lot of, a lot of uh illegal substances involved, but uh people do it and people love it. And it's just like it's a whole different, it's a whole different beast than clubs anywhere else. Um it's very, very different, really open, really free, really uh like really open, open, open. Uh there's always something for everybody, if uh including like you know, sexual things for some clubs, some clubs just for partying. There's kind of something for everyone in, in, in that club scene. And the nightly see John for bars, there's so many uh, different styles of bars that I, I haven't really seen in the States. And I, I like to call them uh, living room bars, or like your grandma's house bars. Because a lot of them have like this really old furniture from like 1954. And they're kind of shabby looking, but still look really nice. And the beer's cheap and it's really comfortable. And there's nice lighting on our only candles. There's no jukebox, there's no games all the time. It's just kind of like this very, very cozy, dark, yeah. dark bar where you can hang out for hours. And I, I've been to a few bars. Um, I remember once with my buddy, we met at 11 o'clock in the evening and we're the only people in the bar until three, four, five in the morning. And I said, bro, should we leave? He's like, no, you're here, all good. Uh, when you leave, I'll shut down. And I kind of felt bad a bit, uh, but he's like, no, please stay. Like, this is what I'm here for. I'm, I'm here to serve you beer and you're drinking the beer. And I thought it's it's it's, it's just like Jeff said, as long as the money's to be made, they'll stay open. Yeah, and you get you get kind of used to you're going to work at eight a.m. and there's people on the U-Bahn, and you can tell that they're just coming home from, from the club, from the bar, wow. which you, which you would not see in the U.S. Or if you did, you'd think okay, they spent the night somewhere. But here, that the person's literally just left the bar and they're coming home, and it's you know the sun's out and they're you know like a vampire, like just hoping <laughs> to get back home. But uh, yeah, it, it was a huge um, huge difference for me because you know, I came from um, small town, 10,000 people in California. There's literally one bar there and we'd go to the next town over where there was like, ooh, now we've got five bars to choose from. Um, and then coming here and there's just thousands of bars. And then yeah, and the clubs here are on a different level. Like I said, there are clubs here that you could just be walking through the club and like, oh, okay, here's some people having sex right here on the cat. Okay, I'm gonna go join them because they want me to come, and it's 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 really really crazy. Uh, yeah, but but again, I don't want to make it seem like that's all the clubs. You know, that's that's not like the norm. But um, but yeah, the clubs here are open all night and can get pretty intense. And it could for some people it can get it gets they get kind of stuck in this kind of clubbing. 24-hour clubbing thing where they'll just yeah. go for like a week straight or or whatever. I was never a huge clubber, but I did have my, you know, my, the first few months I lived here, I had the moment where I had the friends like, oh, come on, let's go. And then there was like four or five days in a row of clubbing. And I was like, I never want to do this again. This is such a, because you're, you're, you're going to sleep at 8 a.m. Then you're waking up at 3 p.m. And then it's a lot. And then you realize like, what am I doing with my life? This is like, you know, it's just, and so after like five days of that, I was like, I'm, I'm yeah, no thank you. But it, it is a bit of warning to people who are coming to Berlin who do want to get into the party culture because there is a big party culture. And like I said, it's open to everybody. No one shames you for whatever you want to do. No, I think no. that's amazing. But uh, I have met people who have kind of gotten lost in that scene mm -hmm. and it's hard for them to get out of it and kind of like, come back to reality a bit because it is 24 seven and you can really get stuck in it. And people get addicted to it. And you get addicted to it, yeah, because yeah. it's it is this whole culture. Um, but there's also, like you said, plenty of bars that are very relaxed. You get it, you can get a nice- um, That's my jam. Yeah, a nice old fashioned <laughs> if you want and relaxed music and nice and dark and just, you know, talk with your friends mm -hmm. and get drunk the good old fashioned way sitting on a couch. Uh, yeah. and, and also what's really cool is a lot of the bars have their own uh, beer. So it's like, well, yeah, you know, they have, they'll have a back of a banana and then they'll have the house beer. And that's their beer that they make only for that bar. This tiny little hole in the wall bar, they have their own beer, which I think is really cool. That is cool. Uh, obviously, the whole bar scene is a little bit of the Alice in Wonderland kind of idea. Once you go down the rabbit hole, uh, you probably won't come back easily. I can see why this is completely addictive. Now, the Austrian in me is is wondering because uh, we do have this this deep, deep coffee house culture. I mean, coffee is life. Uh, we settle sure. we settle in, and uh, as opposed to the U.S., uh, generally we don't feel like we are being rushed out the door again. It's a much similar experience to what you guys have, but we right. also have this culture to the degree that in some uh, some Viennese coffee shops, uh, the 
the hardcore guests who practically live there ultimately almost end up living there. In terms of once they retire, they get their mail delivered to the coffee shop. Oh my, that's that's a whole other level. I've never heard of that. Me neither. I, maybe it happens in Germany. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I'm not a big, I mean, I drink coffee, but I'm not into the, I don't really go to coffee houses very often. Um, I just, just make coffee at home and drink it by myself. Um, so I really have no input on that. That sounds pretty. That sounds really wild. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a movie. You know? No, I was yeah, I was really I was really looking hard. Yeah. yeah, no, I was tr I was trying hard to find something that actually could still surprise you. <laughs> that that's very surprising. People living in a that it, sounds it's surprising but not surprising. I could see that happening in Europe definitely because uh, I, being a freelancer, I have friends who are freelancers who they just they they can't do the work at home thing. And even I'm pre pre COVID nineteen. They spent all their time. They would go. They would plant themselves at a coffee shop, 8 a.m. Be there the whole day, and you know, you buy two or three cups of coffee, and they're doing all their work there because they, they need like the, the kind of feeling of being sociable, even though they're not. Sure. Um, so I do know a lot of people who spend a lot of time at coffee coffee houses, but uh, I didn't know you could uh, make a career out of it. But <laughs> good to know. I mean, I, I bet it's cheaper than uh, than some of the rent here. So. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What is a commonplace rent amount that you would expect? In, in Berlin? Berlin, yeah. Um, depends where and what size. I would say generally, if it's, let's say, a 60 square meter apartment, what, like maybe 700? I, 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 can't, I can't tell you. It's, it's, it's hard. It, 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 I mean, the Ber people have been complaining, you know, that their Berlin rents have been going up, and they are. However, compared to every other capital city like London, Paris, et cetera, Berlin is half the price. So right. it's still, while, while the rent has been, I'm not going to say it hasn't been. It's absolutely been going up from what it was 10 years ago when I moved here. And, sal and salaries aren't keeping up. That's, that's the problem. Yeah, yeah. But it's still uh, com com compared compared to these other these other um, large cities in Europe. It's it's still very affordable, and it's still cheaper than I would be paying back in California. So yeah, um, yeah it's it's very very affordable. And especially if you don't mind living a bit on the out, like, like every city, if you don't mind living a bit in the outskirts, and in Berlin, that's not as big of a deal because there is not really a city center, like I think we said in the first uh, episode. So even living on the outside a bit is still kind of okay, and you can get some some really good prices there. But I'll say if you're in towards the middle of the city, for like, let's say like a 60 square meter one bedroom apartment, around seven-ish hundred euro, maybe 800, which is pretty expensive. It's hard to guess, so yeah, it really depends on which street you're on and, and all that kind of jam. Yeah. But, but you do have to bring your own appliances still, right? Yeah, that, yes. that, that's still the majority of the times it's you walk in and you're like, what is this room? And they're like, oh, this is the kitchen. And you're like, oh, okay, yeah. it's just empty four walls with maybe a sink, a, the remnants of a pipe sticking out of the wall, yeah. They, they do usually give you yeah. a sink and a stove, but in an oven, we found out recently they don't have to provide you a stove or oven. They have to provide you something to cook on, which can be a, a hot plate. Yeah. So but they, usually we'll have a sink and a stove oven. But, but, it. but, but it's like it's like in this wooden box. So it's, it's meant to be moved. It's, it's not a sink that's installed into the wall. Or right. Like that. It's this little tiny Ikea box with a sink on it. And that's and even yeah. then most sometimes you walk in and it's, there's nothing. And, and I mean nothing. I mean, there's there's like two little wires hanging out of the ceiling not even a bulb um there's, 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 it usually doesn't come with bulbs either yeah they, 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 <laughs> and it makes no sense because no what are the odds that your custom kitchen that fits to that room is going to fit to the new room in your new apartment it's right. not going to so why that are you is... taking it? in the u.s the, the kitchen is permanent and it that's what makes yeah. sense to be it, this makes yeah. no sense it, 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 it is it is bizarre no absolutely bizarre so from 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 the perspective of renting um I mean, I don't know if, if you if you have any any data points or perhaps any perspectives, but do people commonly stay in their apartments for the really the long haul, like decades, or uh, is there quite I, some I migration? Think it depends. I think it depends, but I think a lot of time once you move out of a flat share and you find your own apartment, people usually try to stay for a while because the rents are going higher. If you get a place, you know, if if I get a place three years ago, I'm still there. If I moved out, that rent's going to be a couple hundred euros more. So I think most people that I know, they'll have like, they'll move here, live in a flat share, and then they'll have like their first kind of like startup apartment that'll be like 40 square meters to live in for like a year. And then they'll kind of find like their place that they really like, and they'll stay there for as long as they can or need yeah. to. 
I mean, the first first few years for an expat can be, like can be difficult uh, for me. Yeah. I'm, I'm in my my eleventh apartment, and oh. ten, ten, like about nine or ten of these apartments were in, just in the first three or four years. Um, and this is because uh, I was a I was a freelancer, and nobody wants to give a freelancer an apartment because mm. they can't. It's hard for them to prove. You can't, can't just give them a pay stub, right? Like, how do you prove your and and they and they're like, okay, well, he has times where he's not working, so I can't trust him to pay the rent. And so a lot of times I just had to, and this is honestly the same for all my friends who are freelancers. Yeah. You have to get uh, sublets for people who are maybe living abroad for three months. And during that time, you're looking for your next sublet and that sublets for three months and then three months and then wow. six months and then three months. And then eventually after a long enough time, you're lucky enough to finally get a proper apartment, which finally happens. That's stressful. Yeah, and, and I think once you get it, you want to stay there because it's not an easy process to, to get an apartment um so a lot of people are like i don't love this place but i have it so i'm gonna, so I'm gonna stay with it and and, and, really and you're nice. still paying three months worth of security deposit is that still the thing is that yes, still the thing three months that is true which is a big, big chunk of money to, to to pull out of your bank account and not have accessible so yeah that's not that's not easy have you thought about no, home no. ownership how difficult is that in germany i i just bought a, an apartment um a little while ago. How was that? So he's definitely thought about it. So I thought about it. I, I am now a home, a home owner. Congratulations. Um, thank you. How, how thank was you. it? Yeah, how it was, was it? How difficult was the process? Oh my. It was. How, how long's your show? Man. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> it, it was complicated also because we, uh, we bought a place that was a brand new building. So we actually bought it two and a half years ago when we moved in only a few months ago. So with the construction and like that, that was that was a pain in the ass, but that was a very special case. Buying a place is, it's not super duper complicated. And there are some companies that actually make it fairly easy. Like there's this um, company I went to called, Hi oh my God, what was it called? Hyperlink, no, Hyper, I think it was Hyper something. And you go there and they kind of, you give them the apartment you want to buy and they kind of give you a list of banks and their interest rates and their uh, mortgage rates and how you can do it. And they're going to find the best bank for you pretty quickly and uh luckily in berlin the interest rates are incredibly low yeah um, like under really oddly low God. under two percent uh sometimes under one percent depending where you are so the interest rates are ridiculous yeah my, my friend recently bought a house as well and his interest rate was 1.2 percent and that being from the states uh, what you know 12 13 percent is normal no yeah, no no they're it's red like five sub five that four percent oh, okay, that's good. not okay yeah, at this good. point yeah but still very very low and I was, in, I was like, in in a big city and i don't live outside the city like i live you know in in the city uh right in, right in the center of one of the districts here uh, or near the center of one of the districts here i should say so it's not like i'm living in the outskirts and the interest rate i think was like 1.5 percent or something like that but you are outside the ring so well i'm one i'm i'm, I'm one street outside of the ring bond so judge me oh, so really I, the ring? I wouldn't call yeah. it the center but you know Actually, for the first time in a long time, we are not that far away from from uh, European rates. So today, the thirty year fixed is two point eight oh seven. Uh, oh, okay, the fifteen year fixed. Yeah, the fifteen year fixed is two point zero nine. Used to be, I feel like, yeah. Yeah, that's coming directly yeah, from Nerd Wallet. Um, <laughs> and of course, your mileage may vary. I mean, credit scores, which is a, I yeah. think now we oh, yeah. really would need another Ooh. show because credit scores and credit is calculated entirely differently in. in oh yes, yeah, it's in Germany. I, I, honestly, I still have no idea what it, what what it is, how it's calculated here. I just go to get the shufa, and I just put my stuff in. I just hope for the best because I, I really don't understand at all. Because I mean, it's, it's, credit, credit cards aren't. I don't have a credit card. It's a similar way. It's, they, they look at are are you paying. Uh, like your mortgage, are you paying that? Are you are you paying your phone bill like to your handy your, right. sorry, uh, cell phone company? Um, all, all those kind of things that require you to pay a monthly a monthly fee. Right. I get, I get that, but the number system I don't understand. I know in the states they really base it off of your credit cards and how you're paying those off. But in Germany, there's no credit cards. Credit cards are a very rare thing to own, uh, and a lot of Germans really actively try to stay away from them because they're kind of terrifying. And I tend to agree with them. I like when I spend my money, it's gone out of my account, and then I know that it's gone. Uh, I, I get that. So I don't understand how it works here, but uh, it is a totally different process. And I think maybe less stressful. I don't know. I really don't know. Well, I would argue that Germans or Austrians, perhaps, because of exactly that, are a little more money conscious and perhaps budget conscious because we have to budget out for the next 30 days as opposed to it two weeks, be. perhaps. I don't know. It's, a, it's also interesting in Germany, uh, the home ownership rate is really, really low 
compared to mm. the states. Yeah, true. I think it's only like a little bit above fifty percent, maybe like sixty percent. No, no, no. Home ownership is forty percent. Oh, oh, it's the opposite. It's forty percent. Yeah, sixty percent rents. Yeah. Yeah. So more people rent in Germany than own. And I find that pretty wild, especially as an American, where the goal is to buy usually. But right. I would, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I would say that this 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 might have some cultural underpinnings because in the U.S. the American dream is home ownership, and as far as yeah. I remember being you know growing up in in Austria. That has never been sold as the ultimate dream is home ownership or own your own little parcel of happiness. That's never truly really been sort of the cultural agenda and sort of the, if you will, yeah. intellectual financial indoctrination into what we believe dreams are. I think that's 100 percent it. It's, it's, it's really not part of the uh, German culture at all. Is this is this um, I want to own a house. I want to have a car. I want to get rich. And uh, and then I guess I want to retire or maybe get a boat. I don't know. <laughs> but that, that's that's not really like on German German people's radars. Yeah, it's more like I want to make enough money to live and travel and enjoy my life more. I don't know. It's a very different kind of thing. I, I, there are people, of course, who want to do that. Just like there are in the states, people don't. Uh, but I think generally, yeah, you're right. It's, that's not really big in the culture at all here. Yeah, and I think people like I know a lot of times I have a few hobbies, and I get people from the states asking me, "Oh, can you make money on that? Can you sell that?" And I'm like, I, "It's a hobby. I just want to enjoy it. I don't have to." Not everything needs to be a hustle all the time. You can do things just because you like doing things. Yeah, but making some money on it wouldn't, wouldn't hurt either. But yeah, sometimes it does hurt. Sometimes, like, because when you make money on something, that's less enjoyable a lot of times. I, 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 I think I think hobbies are good, and not making money and not hustling is good and not relaxing. So, passive income sounds pretty good to me, but. <laughs> oh man, this is this is another thing we should be talking about. So here's here's where my head is going, and uh, let me know if you guys are agreeable and if not then i'm blatantly editing this out uh but we are <laughs> we are rolling again for an hour um i would propose to have you on the show at least once a year to check in with you to see what the updates are to see what the changes are uh germany broadly but also to follow you and your podcast a little bit more intently and just really get sort of the Americans in Germany drinking whiskey sort of flair and flavor as we go along. Yeah, it sounds nice. So I don't know if, if we'll be a podcast in a year, to be honest. But I, I'm still down to do it once a year. That'd be awesome. For a round, yeah. And I mean, if, if you, you got, have the like, equipment, if you got two, if you got two more, like we can do 10 more minutes if you got, if you got more questions that you yeah. want to put in. Um, yeah, so, um, I, I don't think we touched on this before, but I wanted to ask about the dating culture. I feel like when I was in Germany, I was like confused. Also, I, I don't think I, I was ever the savviest dater, but like <laughs> that like culturally for me was a little bit confusing. I feel like I accidentally like was dating. Like I think someone like thought that they were my boy. I, I don't know. It just got, <laughs> so just like, tell me how, what things are like. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's definitely, the, the dating culture is definitely different. And we were actually yeah. recently talking to, um, to a woman who ha has a, a podcast about um, expats yeah. dating Germans in Germany. And yeah. she said something that I had actually heard from other expat women in Germany. Okay. And that's that, you know, in, in the U.S., kind of the standard thing is, you know, the you know, guy in a, in a bar or wherever, you know, gets the courage, comes over, starts talking, says his line, whatever. Um, but apparently in Germany, from again, from just what I've heard from many sources is that um, German men are, are more shy and kind of do, do not make the first move and kind of wait for women to make the first move. So this is kind of uh, goes, it's counterintuitive for some women from the States because um, they're used to the other way around. And so a lot of times the woman will be in the bar, wait, like, you know, or maybe make eyes with the guy in the corner and, he never comes over. It's like, what, 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 what do you not like me? Um, but again, this is just from what I've heard from, from several different expat women. I can't confirm it because um, I've never uh, been in that situation uh, <laughs> before. Um, but yeah, also uh, for me, um, uh, dating German women is, it, yeah, it's, it's, I hate doing stereotypes or blanket statements about any, because everybody is different. Um, but I would say in more of a, a general way, um, the first date tends to kind of be like an interview rather than kind of like a fun event. Um, you know, uh, 
the women are very much asking questions and trying to figure you out and see, okay, is this person worth worth my second, time? Worth a second date? Yeah, it's it's it, it feels much more like a business interview. Um, you know, lots of questions uh, going on. But again, that could have been just my experience. I I can't speak for everybody. Um, of course, everybody's different, so it, it's yeah. so hard to say what the average German is like or not like. You know. Yeah, I I have zero uh, experience here in Germany because I met my partner. Uh, my first day moving here, who is German, but we met my first day, uh, not my oh. not my initial plan coming to Germany as a 22-year-old, um, and very different plans, but <laughs> <laughs> we met, we met my, the first day I moved here, and uh, yeah, I, I, I pretty much fell in love with her instantly. We've been together for like eight years now, so my experience in dating here is very, lasted like what, few, a few hours. <laughs> But what so for, for me, hours, two or three hours it was. For me, it went swimmingly. It was very easy. <laughs> We've, I think we, we just have perhaps a little more just gender equality to the degree that it's not necessarily my responsibility to pick you up, nor is it yours. So if, it's, if, we, can, if we can arrange this on, on common terms, if you will, if we meet on common terms, have conversations that are of equal nature then we're actually really getting somewhere. It's never felt propositional to me. Yeah, absolutely. And that is one thing I will say that um, German women really, they love things to be equal. They usually do not want you paying for that first date. They want to, they want to split the bill. And like, like I said, I mean, also we're not in a car culture here. So, early, it, so you don't really have the picking up. So it's more like, Hey, I'll meet you at the place, you know, at wherever, um, you know, and they're not really expecting the, you know, to, to open the, these kind of old fashioned kind of things, you know, um, because like you said, men and women um, um, and anybody are very much on equal footing. Uh, that, that, that is true. I totally agree. Yeah. And, and I think also Germany, uh, Berlin, but also Germany as well uh, are very liberal. It's a very liberal country for the most part. Uh, Berlin being exceptionally more more liberal, um, but I think people are definitely much more open and say this is like these are my expectations. This is you know what I want to do. Uh, and people are like okay or not okay. At least when, when I talk to my friends about that, about their dating lives, what they've done is that people are just very very open about their intentions of of what that relationship means to them or what's going to be instead of this kind of cat and mouse kind of read between the lines what I'm saying. And that could also be a very German, straightforward thing as well. Germans are straightforward. Yeah. But I think uh, also as being liberal in a liberal city, people are just, you know, very straight up and, hey, this is my intentions. Uh, are, you, are you game? Are you not game? Right. Let's get to know each other. If not, then I'll see you later and I'll go on with my day. Yeah. And of yeah. course, Germany, just like any other country, um, people are hardcore into the, um, the app dating and the internet dating. Yeah. So, oh, sure. uh, yeah, well, so, so, so the meeting people in person is becoming less and less. And it's more about the bumbles and the tenders and the, you know, and, and the hookup culture here is very large. Uh, in, I know Berlin, of, in Berlin, not in Berlin. I would say Germany, but Berlin. I, I know a lot of people have said like, it's really hard to find a long-term relationship because a lot of people are here just do want, uh, just want to hook up. And there's a big culture of that here. So, you know, if you're into that, then we're going to but city I, I suppose the the entire setup for this type of culture to exist is based on some form of equality. Because if women were dependent, if you were to say, or men were dependent, conversely, you wouldn't have this type of liberated hookup culture because oh, somebody sure, would yeah. have to have an expectation at some point. So, even though perhaps contentious from from an American perspective, I would say actually quite validating from a social liberation perspective. Hundred percent. I think yeah. that's amazing, and there, and there's not this um, this judgment of anybody really. Uh, if you meet a man who's like, "Hey, I'm sleeping around," it's like, you know, you do you as long as everyone's consensual and having a good time. Mm -hmm. If you meet a woman who says the same thing, you say, "Good for you," as long as it's consensual, and everyone's having a good time. There's no, you know, there's I, I've not seen a lot of slut shaming or um, these kind of toxic behaviors that 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 I have seen previously in my life in the city at all. It's it's very much. You do you, again, as long as it's consensual and everyone's having fun, there's literally no judgment from anybody. And I think that's super liberating. And, and I, would, I would hope the rest of the world could be that way, uh, whether into it or not into it. But at least if it's not for you, you're not going to judge someone else for doing it. I think, I think that's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Berlin is a very uh, non-judgment city. I yeah. mean, you do what you want to do. Yeah, you bring a pony on the U-Bahn and, you know, 
wearing uh, no shirt, nobody cares. You know, it's like, if, yeah, if you want to go, I've seen, you can just look at me and go, I've seen weirder, weirder than that. You know? The weirdest I've seen is someone wearing a full on suit, you know, crazy. <laughs> Actually going to work, oh my God. Going to work at nine to five. <laughs> Gentlemen, thank you so, so much for spending time with us again. We, we have to repeat this at some point in the future and just catch, catch up Let's with you for it. sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm so down, it's, it's yeah. time, it's an hour, it goes by always so quickly. Yeah, it goes uh, so, so quick, quickly. yeah. There's just Aaron. so much to talk about, really. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. Anyways, <laughs> guys, thank you so much for being here. It was great, and we'll be connecting with you again. Hey, thank, thank, thanks hey, again. Thanks for having us, guys. Yeah. <laughs> See you soon. Thank you. Bye-bye.